Father, as we sing about you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would be stirring in our hearts. Lord, growing our understanding for you, our desire. Lord, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had over these last few weeks to, to talk about Christmas, to be celebrating the birth of the Savior, the coming of God into the flesh to celebrate Emmanuel. Lord, in this week, as we continue to look forward to the new year, Lord, we pray that you would give us a renewed sense of passion, a renewed sense of desire and longing for you, a desire that would filter out into our everyday lives, that would make a significant impact in the way that we live our lives. God, we thank you that this Jesus who came into the world, this baby, that he grew as a sinless son of God, Lord, and he died. He died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could be set free, so that we could be set free from our sin and our rebellion, and that we could follow you with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would unite our hearts, that you would help us to have open ears this morning to hear. We pray that your spirit would be at work enlightening the the truths of your scripture to us. And Lord, we are grateful for this church body and an opportunity we have to worship together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, at this time, the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church, those up through the third grade. And again, appreciate all those who help out with Children's Church ministry. They, uh, we are... Really thankful for your, their ministry. Well, if you open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah, we are in Isaiah 55, and many of you are saying that that sounds familiar, because it is. We've been working on memorizing this, this uh, chapter all year. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, <clears throat> in your pew is a pew Bible, and on page 615 is where you'll find Isaiah 55. And again, if you don't have a Bible, if you've come and you don't have one that's, that's readable, that uh, can make sense of, we would encourage you, if you will read one of the Bibles in the pew, to take it with you and put it to good use. Well, Isaiah 55, a passage we have spent the last 365 days working to memorize, and today is December 30th, and we are on the precipice of a new year, a new year and lots of new things ahead of us. It's an exciting time as we think about what's been behind us. And just we think about just in a church family like ours, just the variety of things that take place over the life of a year. You know, we have births and there are, there are celebrations, but there's also heartache and difficulties and certainly unexpected things that happen um, in the course of a year. But as we look to 2019, I want us to see in this passage, there are five things that I believe that God wants from us in 2019. As we think about beginning a new year, we often think about resolutions and things that we're going to do, things I want to be different, I want to make, uh, be better at next year, which I think are, is fantastic. I think the new year creates good opportunities for that. But this morning, we're going to look at five things that God would desire from us. And I've titled this message, this message An Invitation to Joy. I believe what, one of the things God wants us to be is a joyful people who are flourishing, One of God's big desires for us is that we'd be a joyful people who are flourishing. This text begins, and this text, the first part of the text says uh, in Isaiah 55, and it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. 
when I was, began studying that, this passage this uh, past week, um, all my kids are home from college, and I thought, this sounds like an invitation of a parent to college kids. All right, come, everyone who thirsts, they're hungry and thirsty, and they're like, we have, we have dorm food all the time. We want real food. Um, come, it says, those who have no money, all right, they come home needing money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. A refrigerator is full. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for what does not satisfy? And it says, delight yourselves in rich foods. One of the things our kids, when they come home from college, they talk about they like to have home food. And um, home food's different than regular food at the dorm, I guess. But this idea, as we think about this come, this invitation in this passage, it has so much more, uh, so much for us that we see this first picture that God, I think that God wants from us in 2019, God simply has given us an invitation, an invitation to come. And that is our, the first word we're going to see here. And what we see in this is that as you look at your text, see how, pay attention to how many times the word come shows up. Verse 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And we see this four times in this first verse. We have an invitation. God is saying to us, my arms are open. My, my treasury is full. It is abundant. My invitation for you is to come to me. And we see this beautiful picture of God calling us to come. Come, those who are hungry and thirsty. Come, those who without, don't have money, come for abundance, come for delight. That God is a God of richness and wants us to experience that with him. And he calls us to come. And God's gracious invitation is, we see this, that we oftentimes hear an invitation like this. And I think it's easy for us in where we live and most of us in our culture to realize, I don't have a whole bunch of needs. God is saying come and he's going to give us stuff to eat he's going to give us stuff to drink he's going to give but but we're pretty content why do i need these things from god because we look materially we are all pretty well off but as we recognize that god is calling us more to more than just a physical blessing that god is calling us to he desires to bless us spiritually because while we may think that we do pretty well spiritually, that we're pretty good people because we're pretty moral, we're not in jail, we're paying our bills, uh, we're taking care of our family, we're doing good things, that oftentimes as we look at the Word of God and we see the, 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 the goals that God has for us and His expectations, we see that His desire for us is holiness. That His desire for us is to, to live according to His law in every part of our lives. And as we recognize that we all fall short of that, in the book of Revelation, there's a church called the church at Laodicea, and there's a revelation given to that church from Jesus, and it says this, it says, for I say, for you say, so this church, they say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. I think how often that kind of fits us. You know, we may not say we're rich, but we're pretty well off. We've prospered, and I have need of nothing. But then Jesus makes this indictment on them. He says, not realizing in their spiritual sense that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That we think on our own we're clothed pretty decently. But when we stand before a holy God, we realize that 
our sins are laid bare and that we are naked and there are reason for shame. And as we read that and yet we hear in this invitation, God is saying, come to him. Those who are thirsty, there's a longing in us, these longings that are unsatisfied in us. God says, come to me. Come to me, those who thirst. Come to the waters. He is the one who wants to bless us with waters. He who has no money. We see this God making this invitation as we have no money. God is saying that's no problem. Because we can't come to God with our money. We can't come to God on our own. That it's only through His invitation and our emptiness that we can come to Him. And we see this invitation that God calls us to, and as He calls us to us, He graciously invites us to come to Him so that He can satisfy us. That's His desire, that as we have spiritual longings that he wants, to, he wants to meet those needs. Now, why this is significant in Isaiah 55 is because we look at the context of this passage that we see Isaiah 55 is not a standalone passage. None of the Bible is. You know, all the Bible, it takes all the Bible to understand all the passages of the Bible. But Isaiah 55, two chapters before this is, what chapter? Do math real quick. Isaiah 55 minus 2 means Isaiah 53. Turn there with me and look what this passage is about. Because we have this invitation, God saying, come to me. But if we've read earlier in Isaiah, we're realizing that we're, we're in a bad place before God. Because, as Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, that we're rebels. We are sinned. We've sinned against God and there's a problem. But Isaiah 53, we see God addressing that problem for us. This is a messianic uh, prophecy. It's talking to us about this one who's going to come and address and fix problems. And it says this, Isaiah 53, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And who, to whom has the, Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, and now he's talking about this, this coming one, and he says, He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we read in this Isaiah 53, we're, we're introduced to someone who's come to take away our sins. Someone who's come to take away and remove our iniquities. And in the context of why that's important is because, because we need that. We need his rescue. We need our sins moved away. So in Isaiah 55, two chapters before this invitation comes is a provision for why we can now come. Because without Isaiah 53, without the work of who this passage is talking about, which is, well, who is this passage talking about in Isaiah 53? It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about our Savior. Because without the work of this one, there is no invitation to come. Because we are unacceptable to God. Without Isaiah 53, the distance between us and God remains. 
And yet because Jesus comes, this promise, these prophecies in Isaiah 53, we have hope. And Isaiah 53 is followed by Isaiah 54. Isaiah 53 is a chapter of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 54 is a chapter of promises. Look at these promises. Because of this suffering servant, there are promises that God makes. And look, for instance, in chapter 54. It says in verse 4, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed, and, do not, and be not confounded, and you will, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. And for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, your God says, and and listen to this, verse 7, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. Verse 8. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And we see these promises God saying to us in 55, come. Why can we come? Because of what the Savior does. We can come because he has knocked down this wall of sin. And knocking down this wall of sin are all these promises that now we get to share in. And how do we get to share in these promises through this Savior? By coming to him. And that is the significant responsibility that we have is to come to the Lord. Jesus has broken down this wall that has separated us from the Father. He invites us to come into his presence. And by grace through faith, we can be made acceptable to God and come to him. That's the hope we have. And God calls us in this invitation to come is to come with a hungry heart. But come with a hungry heart, but also come with empty hands. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, empty hands. Come, buy and eat. That our Lord is graciously inviting us to him. In John chapter 6, it says this. Jesus is talking, he's just fed 5,000 people, and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, this invitation to come, whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this invitation to come is an invitation to be satisfied, to be satisfied in him for all that we need. And so God invites us to come. And so in 2019, what is the one thing that we know God wants from us is God wants us to come to him. And and, and this coming to him is a continual coming. It's not we just don't come to him once and say, thanks God, and go do our thing, that we continue to come to him to continue to to thirst, to continue to drink and to eat from him for all that he provides for us. So the first thing we see is that God tells us to come. In verse 2, we can see this next thing he says back in Isaiah 55. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And now there's a word he's going to, an idea he's going to communicate in three different ways. He says this, listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my my steadfast, sure love for David. 
this next thing is God not only wants us in 2019 to be coming to him, but he also wants us to be listening to him. That we would come and we would listen. And what would we listen to? His word. And we would say, well, why listen to God's word? And we could say things like, well, we know we're supposed to. New Year started, so I'll make a resolution about Bible reading, which is great. I would encourage that. And these type of things. But why listen to God? I would would encourage you, look with me in the book of Psalm, chapter 19. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage that tells us about why God's word is worthy to be listened to. Psalm, chapter 19. This is on page, in your pew Bible, this is on page 456. And in this passage, there are all kinds of word used, words used for the Word of God. It talks about the testimony, the commandments, the precepts of the Lord, and all those about the Word of God. And listen to the variety of reasons why he says what he says about the Word of God and why it's worth us listening to. Chapter 19, verse 7, the book of Psalms. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What's God's word do? It gives life to our souls. It revives our souls. What does it do? It gives us wisdom. It gives us truth that we need. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. Why listen to the Lord? Why come? Why listen? Because he makes us alive. He makes us wise. He gives us joy. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God brightens our eyes. God gives us understanding as we read his word. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And then the psalmist, as he puts all these things together and says, how valuable is the word of God? This is how valuable in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. He says, listen, this word that you need to be listening to, the words of life, the words of wisdom, the words of light, and you need them. And whenever you take them in and you begin to taste and see the goodness of God, you realize that this word is more desirable than gold. Because this word will transform your lives for the better. It will make your life brighter. Gold may make your life a little more comfortable, but there are no guarantees that will make your life any brighter. Following God's word has a guarantee. You follow God's word and your life will be brighter. And he says this. He says that it's, 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 it's better than much gold, but then he says it's sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The writer here is saying the most valuable thing he can think of, fine gold, God's better than that. The sweetest thing that he's tasted is honey, and he said God's word is sweeter than that. And, and, and how do you come to know that? By tasting it. By tasting it. I, listen, I could do a study. We could say, okay, here is the chemical makeup of honey. And give you the diagram of how the structure is and all the atoms and all that. And talk to you about sweetness and talk to you about your tongue and taste buds and how you taste sweet and all those kind of things. I can give you this big long lecture about how honey is really, really sweet. And we can have testimonies come up here and people say, yes, honey is sweet. I had some on my toast the other day. I had some on this... Um, Actually, honey on um, cornbread muffins, mm, that's good, right? So, but it's really sweet, and you're having that. And we can have this big lecture about it. But here's a, at the end of the time, at the end of our time together, 
you, you have some understanding that people think honey is sweet and that um, it probably is sweet and you may believe it. But you don't know that honey is really sweet until you taste it. And once you've tasted it, it's like all those charts and all those graphs, I didn't need any of that. I've tasted it. This is the real thing. And that's what God is telling us about his word. As we taste of his word, as we partake of his word, we find that it is sweet. We find that it is life-giving. We find that it is valuable. And so back to Isaiah 55, that's that's what the... That's what the writer is telling us, that God is saying, come to me, listen, listen to what? These life-giving, wisdom-giving, these valuable, sweet words, listen to all of this because you need this. We listen to God and we listen to him so that we come. And this idea of listening is more than, again, it's more than just hearing a lecture on honey. Okay, it's, it's tasting of it. And what that means is that, that we have ears, Right? I think everybody here probably has two ears. Okay? And yet throughout the Bible we're told that just because we have ears doesn't mean we hear. Okay? Every parent that has ever parented knows that just because your children have ears doesn't mean they may not hear. Right? Okay? We can say something to them and they clearly are in the other room and they hear you say, would you come and help set the table? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. You're in the other room and you're whispering to your spouse, hey, honey, I was a little concerned about Susie today at the playground. And your kid's like, what? Why are you talking to me? They hear it, right? What this means to us and why this is significant is that hearing in the Word of God is more than an auditory experience. Hearing is not simply an auditory experience. It's not just about sound waves going through the air and hitting our eardrum and sending nerves to our brain, and then it's more than that. As we hear in the Word of God, the Bible says that that we must hear with our ears and with our minds and with our hearts and with our will. That we hear the Word of God and we take it in. And we have in this that we have a responsibility to hear God's word. And we have a responsibility to respond to this gracious invitation. God invites us to come. We not only need to hear that invitation, but we need to respond to that invitation. That we need to hear. And so as we hear the invitation over here, to hear say, I hear God say, call, come. I hear him. That there's responsibility that we have to listen and to come to him. And we see this, and God makes these grand promises in chapter 55, verse 4. It's talking about this covenant that God made with David, this covenant that he's going to put a king on his throne forever, an eternal king. And we read in the New Testament, we realize that he's talking about Jesus in that. But he says that, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. I think a part of this passage when it says, I made him a witness to the peoples. In the Old Testament, we read about David. And David is this great king, and he has vast, the, the, the empire of the nation grows. There's great stability under King David. He's a king who loves God. We also know that he stumbles, he commits adultery, and even murder. 
and yet he is still considered a man after God's own heart because he repents. But in this, we see this, all these great things about David. But when we're first introduced to David, you remember where he was? There was a kingmaker, a prophet named Samuel, who had been instructed to go and to the house of Jesse, and God was going to reveal to him who the new king was going to be. So as any good family would do, you bring out the oldest, the oldest son of Jesse. He's tall, he's handsome, he's clearly the guy who's going to be king. And God says, nope, nope. And they bring all the sons. And then finally they're saying, oh yeah, we have this other son. But he's not even here right now. He's out taking care of the sheep. And we recognize this servant boy, David, becomes a king. And God says in that context, it's not that God doesn't judge according to outward appearances, but the heart. And God takes David, this humble, humble shepherd, and makes him a king. To be a witness, our script passage says, to the peoples. And I believe a part of this witness is that God doesn't choose us based on the basis of, of our merits, on the basis of what we can do, what we can't do. God looks at the heart. And I believe what he's looking in our hearts is, are we willing to listen? Do we have hearing hearts? Are we willing to listen to this? And, and, and so as we hear this idea of listening, this is, I believe, one of the things God wants for us in 2019 is for us to have humble hearts that listen. Listen to God. And then listening means that we're responding to Him. So, 2019, come, listen. As we look on in verse 6 and 7, we see the third word that we're going to see in this is that we seek. Look what it says in verse 7, or verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In this passage, we're told that we're to come to the Lord, that we're to listen to the Lord, and we're to seek the Lord. And this idea of seeking the Lord, that we're called to seek him, not because he's hiding from us. How many of you have liked playing hide-and-seek as a kid? Actually, I liked it when I was an adult. When our kids were little, I loved playing hide-and-seek with our kids. All right, we'd be in Michigan when the kids were real little and stuff. And I mean, they got to the point where obviously you could hide in the middle of the room. Sometimes they're hiding like this kind of stuff. But then they get fun. And they're old enough to like climb in closets and up on shelves and stuff and get behind stuff. Make a mess of the house and stuff. But it's a ton of fun, right? And uh, so you're looking for the kids and trying to find them. And some are better hiders than others. And then sometimes you get to hide. And um, I, there's sometimes you're hiding and you're like, I'm going to find such a good place I can get a nap. So I'm hiding and fall asleep. The kids finally find you, wake you up, and okay, we're good. But hide and seek. Now, we love that game because it's kind of fun. When God says to seek him, God says, listen, I'm not playing games with you. I am not calling you to seek me because I'm hiding from you or because I'm hard to find. That's not why God calls us to seek him. God calls us to seek him because we are looking for all the wrong stuff in all the wrong places. It is as though we're over here, we're looking for stuff, we're, we're hungry and we're thirsty and we don't have any money and we have these longings in us and we're looking in all these places to try to satisfy them. We're looking for them in relationships, we're looking for them through money and possessions or significance and a job and I'm looking for all of that over here and, and, and God's over here saying, hey, come, listen, seek, 
I'm right here. I'm right here. And, and yet, because our ears are often closed, that we're not seeking and we're looking at all these wrong places, but God calls us to seek him. And it's a beautiful picture. If we think about this idea of seek, when does God, in, in the context of our passage, God calls us to seek him after he's already saying, come to me, listen to me. Why, why that's significant is because God is taking the initiative. That, listen, we don't find God because we have come out on some big search to find him. We find God because he's calling to us. He says, listen, come to me. That he takes the initiative. He is the one longing. The, the bar- listen, the barrier between us and God is not because God's holding something against us. It's because we're willing, unwilling to turn and to come to him. Our sin is what is between us. That's certainly what is between us. And God is our sin. But, but we recognize that God's calling us to come, to listen, and to seek. But the reason why this remains is because we love this. We love life our way. I want to live life on my terms. I want to be in charge. I want to do things my way. I don't want to surrender to God. I don't want to submit. And actually those words surrender and submit, I hate those words because I am cons- I'm confident I can do this on my own. And so God is saying, come, listen, seek. And we're over here seeking all the kinds of other things. And we think we can do it on our own. And God knows and he sees the folly of our hearts. And yet he loves us and calls us anyway. And what we realize is when God calls us to seek him, it says in verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. This is, this is so huge because I think oftentimes we may be hearing the voice of God and hearing God and there's a tenderness in our heart, but we're like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I'm, I'm maybe on another day. Maybe I'll, I'll get there sometime. And this is saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near because there may be a time right now. He's here. He's calling to you. You're right here and you can hear it's very likely that the reason what can happen is you keep going this way and you keep going this way and you keep going this way and his voice gets harder and harder and harder to hear. Not because he's not pursuing, but because you've gotten farther and farther and your heart has become harder and harder. And we're told, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then the beautiful picture of this is beautiful. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So over here, I'm doing things my way. I'm doing things according to my thoughts. This is what all makes sense. I'm doing it. And it says, turn from that. Forsake those. Give up. Give up your own thoughts. Give up your own ways. Surrender those. And now here's what it says. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is, this is beautiful. So we're over here seeking all this stuff, and we're doing our own thing. And over here, we have God saying, Come, listen, seek. God's calling us to do that. And listen, the, our view of God must be right in this. Because God's view, what we're seeing in this passage throughout the Scripture, is that God's not standing over here thinking, when are they going to do this? Are we going to get this or not? 
You're going to turn around, find out you're a sinner, and realize it, and finally come to me? When are you going to do that? That's not God's response to us at all. What we're hearing this is, we say, he says, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God is not over here with arms crossed, tapping his foot. God is over here with arms wide open and saying, are you ready? Are you going to come? Are you going to keep turning to me and just keep finding me satisfying? Or are you going to be looking, just continue your way? I'm gracious. I want you to come to me. And that is God's heart for us. And, and, and in the midst of all of this, that there is a responsibility that we have is that we must return to the Lord and we will find compassion and we will find pardon. But that re- re- what that requires of us is a hearing and then a seeking. But that hearing and seeking then is followed by, is followed by this another word that we have next is going to be in verses 8 and 9. 8 through 11 is this, is that we, we, God says, come. He says, listen. He, has, he says, seek. And then he says this in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now, th- those two words, look at those words. The words thoughts and ways. Now, trace it back up to verse 7. He says, let the wicked forsake his what? His way. And down here in verse 8, we're told that God's ways are not our ways. It says, and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. And down here, what God is saying is, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And what we see in this is God saying that my thoughts are not your thoughts, your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He says, listen, your your ways and your thoughts are going to hit a ceiling. They're contrary to mine. Mine are way higher than that. And, and, And what God's calling us to in this is that we've got to trust him. So God says, come. He says, listen. He says, seek. If I turn to find compassion, there's a level of trust that I have to trust that he will indeed forgive me. He will indeed do what he has said. He will indeed abundantly pardon me. And as I, as I turn and I realize that, I have to think his ways and not my ways because his, my ways would think, well, man, I've got to do a bunch to make up for all the mess I've made with God. I've got to climb this ladder. I've got to do all kinds of stuff to make up this before God's ever going to receive me. That's our thoughts. Those are our ways. And God says, it's not my ways. My ways are I've provided this Isaiah 53 suffering servant who died on the cross and rose from dead, who paid all of your debt, so there's nothing you can do and nothing you need to do. You come to me with empty hands. No money, without price, come and eat. It's what he invites us to. And our Lord is calling us to trust him. And what we realize is that God is accomplishing his purposes through his words in ways that are beyond our understanding. And this passage has a million implications about trusting the Lord in his word. Verse 10 goes on and says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. What's God's word like? Rain and snow coming down upon seeds. And what happens? It causes growth. And he says, And it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. And I believe 
the greatest thing that God wants is when he says, come, his word goes out, he says, listen, he says, seek, that we would trust, that we would trust him, and we would submit to him, we would surrender to his will for us. As we recognize this, this need is urgent. This need to turn to God is urgent. This need to trust him is urgent. The time is now for us to trust God. And we trust God knowing that he is a God who keeps his promises. Well, as we continue then, so come, listen, seek, trust. What's the result of that? So, okay, if I do all these things, God's over here calling me these things. These are things that I, God wants for me in the year 2019. What should I expect as a result of it? Listen to verse, seven, verse 12. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What is this last thing God saying to us? He says, come. He says, listen. He comes, says, seek. He says, trust me. And this last word is that we would come and enjoy. That we would come and that we would enjoy him. This, the picture that, that, I, that I see in this passage is this person over here. We've been rebellious against God and we hear the invitation to come and we start to listen. We seek him, we trust him, and we come to him. And as we come to him, it is though all of creation now rejoices. And all of creation, is, the trees are like, yeah, this is what this is about. Because here's why, okay? All of creation glorifies God in its being. Mountains, mountains stand in, in the Grand Tetons, those grand majestic mountains are there saying, God is great. We see a thunderstorm roll across, or roll across in the summertime and realize that thunderstorm is telling us God is powerful. We look at beautiful flowers in the springtime and we think, isn't this marvelous? God is beautiful. We see the frost that sticks to the trees and the limbs in, the, in a sunny morning in the wintertime and the sparkle and all of that. And we're thinking, man, God is amazing. And all of creation is already saying, God is glorious. And when we're over here, when we hear the invitation to come and to listen and to seek, and when, whenever we, we humble ourselves, we trust God, and we come to Him, all of creation is saying, yes, this is what your life is all about. The trees of the field are clapping their hands. You've come out of slavery. You've come out of your sin. You've come out of living life on your own terms. And now you're doing exactly what you were created to do. Enjoy this. And, and, and they're saying to us, enjoy God. He loves us. He cares about us. He wants us to delight in Him. As we think about these words... One more PowerPoint here. It says that he gives us joy and peace. He's transforming all of creation. It's going to make a name for him, an everlasting covenant. Listen, what the last part of this verse is, that it's going to make a name for the Lord. Our salvation and God bringing us to himself gives great pleasure to God. And we are a testimony to him and his greatness. As we put these words together, as we put these words, come, listen, seek, trust, and a joy. I was meditating and thinking on this yesterday morning. The story of the prodigal son comes to mind. When we think of this son 
who's in a household. He's being taken great care of, a wealthy father. Things are good, but he wants to do things his way. And what does he say to his dad? Give me all my inheritance now. Essentially, God, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me an inheritance. He takes his inheritance and he goes and he squanders it on wild living and just living according to the flesh. A famine comes. He's miserable. He doesn't have anything anymore. What does he do? He lifts his head up and he realizes, my father is good. And if I will go to my father, at least he might make me a servant so I don't have to eat with pigs anymore. And, and, and what do we see? And, and, and we see almost the same thing, the father back here saying, son, come, listen, seek me, son, trust. And this boy in a far off land, not hearing any of it. But when he comes to his senses, he knows the goodness of his father. And he comes back. And when he comes back, he's rehearsing his story about how horrible he's been. And dad, I'll just be a servant. I'll work for you. And we know the story, right? What does the father do? The father sees his son afar off. And what does he do? He runs to him says come and what does he do he says the one who has been lost has been found the one who is dead is now alive the one who didn't want to come has come the one who didn't want to listen is now listening the one who is seeking all the wrong stuff is now seeking the right one the one who is trusting all the financial resources i've given to him is now trusting the father let's have a party and they kill the fatted calf and they have this grand party and listen that is what god wants for us God wants us to enjoy him, to enjoy his creation, to enjoy his goodness to us. And as we look in 2019, this is my prayer for us as a church and for you as an individual, that you will make 2019 a year of continually coming to the Lord, continually listening to the Lord, continually seeking him, trusting him, and enjoying him. That's our God. He's created us to flourish, and he has given us all that we need so that we will flourish. Now, as we come to 2019, then we think, okay, well, what might this look like? How do I flesh this out? And that's where these cards come in hand, handy, okay? So these cards we passed out. These were in your bulletin, or you should have gotten one from one of the teens that to help pass these out. How do we continually do this in a new year? What I've done is we've put together these cards because we want to encourage you with some spiritual disciplines that will help you to be doing all of these things in 2019 on a consistent basis, Okay, now, these aren't legalistic. These are going to be your cards to keep. Okay, this is between you and the Lord. But here's what we do. I want, here's what I do. I want you to look at this with me. The first thing says, number one, I will. I will be with the church family on blank Sunday mornings for worship each quarter of 2019. Now, what this means is I want to be with the church family. I want to come, listen, seek, and trust together with other believers. And I'm going to do that by coming to church regularly. Now, I put on here, we put on here each quarter. Now, we did that rather than the whole year because the whole year, we don't know if you achieve the goal till the end of the year. Okay, so that's why I put each quarter. And we put each quarter, uh, 12 Sundays a quarter, that would make 48 of 52 Sundays. So that's four weeks, you're not in church. You think a couple vacations and stuff. Okay, that, that might be pretty reasonable. But I want you to think about how often are you going to be in church this year? with other believers, worshiping, seeking. Because, again, now, do you have to be in church to be a Christian? We would say no. Do you have to be in church to be obedient to God and consistently growing? Yes. You can argue with me later for that if you want to. Okay? But you need to be with the body. And so 
set, I want to be there. And, and realizing that just because I wake up and I didn't get enough sleep or I'm tired or I stay up the other night, that's not an excuse not to come to church. Got to figure it out. Okay, I'm going to be legalistic on this, but these, are, but these are your goals. The second one is this. I want to encourage other believers okay, by take, talking to them about, spirit, about things we are learning in church, about the Bible, about biblical principles, or about God's work in us at least blank times a month. We've called these in the past spiritual conversations. Listen, it's so easy to come to church or to be with other believers and talk about, you know, talk about the football game from yesterday. We're not going to talk about the football game from Friday for sure. And um, anyway, so, but to talk about that, it's real easy to talk about all that, right? But to think about, okay, but talk about, well, what am I learning in church? What am I reading in my Bible? Those kinds of things. And to raise in that, to realize God wants to use that to sharpen and encourage us, okay, with other believers. The next one, and so how many times a month? Um, the next one is I'm going to engage with unbelievers in conversations about God, the Bible, biblical principles, or God's work at least blank times a month. And again, these are ideas just to keep this in front of us. So these are things I need to be doing. And this would be something I oftentimes will swim, on, uh, swim in the mornings and I was having a conversation with a guy that I see there regularly recently. His work and my work, we're talking about our jobs and we've got to talk about families and where families are. And, and that conversation, we then turned and talked about how, how God has different plan for families and finances than what we do. And we just, it just turned the corner, had a spiritual conversation, then share the gospel with them. It was, I mean, we're finishing up getting ready for work or whatever, um, but we're planting and watering, just creating an opportunity to have those conversations. So we encourage you to be having those kind of conversations. Number four is this. I will share the gospel at least blank times each quarter of 2019. Sharing the gospel means explaining the, the message of man, sin, and Jesus from the Bible and then encouraging a response. Okay, this is different than the conversation about God's work. This is about God's work in them and calling them to become believers, right? And sharing the gospel. These are things that, that if we're coming to God, listening to God, seeking, trusting, these are things that will keep us sharp. They'll keep you, on your, keep you on your toes because you're having some challenging, maybe difficult, uncomfortable conversations, but they'll help you to grow and help others. Number six, I will give blank percent of my income to the Lord's work at Eastside Baptist Church in 2019. We talk about come, listening, seeking, trusting. This is big on the trust part. Right? Trust is big. I mean, oftentimes in our finances, we just do our finances the way we want to. And um, as we come through that, that we realize that as I give uh, the percentage of my income that I'm trusting the Lord. I'm going to trust Him for that. Back up to number five, I'm going to invite blank number of people to church each quarter. You know, that, that's, on, on this, this is probably one of the easiest things to do. Just, hey, you come to church with me on Sunday? Um, number seven, read my Bible. I'm going to read this much in my Bible, all the New Testament, all the Old Testament, all 66 books, blank books. Now, if you think about this card, one thing I want to warn you against is overestimating a good desire. You think, 2019 is going to be a perfect year for me. I'm going to read, I read three chapters of the Bible this year. I'm going to read the whole thing next year. Didn't invite anybody to church last year. I'm going to invite somebody to church every week this year. You need to know yourself. Where have you been? Because what does God desire of us? God desires growth. Okay, so if you read a little bit of the Bible last year, read a little more. If you didn't invite anybody to church last year, invite somebody. If you haven't had any spiritual conversation with somebody, you haven't had very many, have more. 
See, God's goal for us at any one point is not perfection, but growth. And I want to encourage you to be growing in 2019. And we think these cards will help you. And so what I want to do is encourage you to fill this out, take some time, fill it out, share it with some of your family. I'd encourage that. Tuck it in your Bible. And every about two months or so, I'm going to ask you, we're going to put it on the calendar, we're going to pull these out and say, hey, how are you doing on your, on your goals, the I will cards for 2019? Okay, just kind of keep in front of us. These are things that you want to do, you're committing to, and uh, we'll do them together. Well, we're going to close this morning with a song. And we're going to close this, the hymn of the song, is, the, the tune of the song is familiar. It sounds like a um, New Year's Eve song. But as we close this morning, I want you to consider, where are you in this coming, listening, seeking, trusting, and enjoying And as you think about wrapping up 2018 and think about 2019, as you think about making some spiritual commitments, I would encourage you, as we sing, if you're like, I I really think God is working on me in some significant ways and maybe commitments I need to make, maybe my relationship with Him or other things. As we sing this morning, sometimes it can be helpful to just make a public declaration. Maybe you just want to come forward and pray and uh, kind of draw a line in the sand for you. Maybe come and sit in one of the front pews and and uh, just pray. You're certainly welcome to do that. If you'd like to talk, I'll be up here. Uh, but, but as we sing this song, if you sense God is like really calling you to kind of step it up and to come, listen, seek, trust, and enjoy Him in new ways, I just encourage you to, to make a commitment to Him while we sing. So let me pray, and we'll sing. Father, we are grateful that You have invited us to come. Lord, You tell us that we can come without money, without price, Lord, that we can listen to you. You've given us a word to hear. Lord, you've called us to seek you, that you're not hiding, that we need to just simply turn. And as we trust you, that we find you a forgiving God, a God who is eager with open arms to receive us. And God, I pray too that you would help us to, Lord, not simply just get our heads down and work hard, but that we'd lift our heads high and enjoy you and enjoy you because of your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.